I used to speak for a lot of high school commencements. One time I walked in to speak for a high school commencement. I had on a new suit. I was all dressed up. One teenage guy came to me and he said, Ben, you look like a million dollars. I laughed at him and said, get out of here. You never saw a million dollars in your life. You wouldn't know a million dollars if you saw it. He said, that's what I mean. You look like something I never saw before. <laughs> well, you can take that or leave it. I'm part of the salad. I think there's no better style of preaching than just taking a story about Jesus and bringing out some lessons. So turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. I'm going to read a familiar story from verses 35 through 43, the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 35. Give you a minute to find that. As Jesus approached Jericho, blind man was sitting at the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man be brought to him. When he came to near, near, Jesus said to him, and Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God when all the people saw it. They also praise God. Well, I'll lead you in prayer and we'll get into this. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I pray, Father, that what we present here will be used by the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit that inspired the Scriptures will work through them this morning and inspire us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this story, Jesus is passing through Jericho for the last time. He'll not pass this way again. It won't be long now until he is betrayed by Judas. It won't be long until he's denied by Peter. It won't be long until he is crucified. He will not pass through Jericho again. Great crowds came out because the news had gone all around the country of his miracles, and people were saying, this man can cause blind eyes to see. This man can cause deaf ears to hear. This man can cause the lame to walk. This man can heal the leper. This man can raise the dead. And seated by the roadside, there was a blind man. He didn't know what was going on. He only knew that something was going on. And he heard the commotion of the crowd, and he seems to cry out, What's going on here? And then you have verse 37, one of the sweetest verses in the Bible. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. You know, uh, that's our message today. That's as real as it was 2,000 years ago. You read this story, and you see three attitudes and three lessons very quickly. 
There was the attitude of the blind man. He wasn't going to let anything keep him from getting to Jesus. There was the attitude of the crowd. They tried to stop him. They said, hey, don't get excited about this. Take it easy. And then there was the attitude of Jesus. When the blind man came, he received him and healed him and forgave him. And those are three basic lessons from the story. However, there are other lessons from this story that you might miss in a casual reading of it. And I'm going to go through those other lessons because they have meaning for us. I have five of them. I'll tell you ahead of time, the first one will take up about half the time. But there are five simple lessons here. The first one is easy to determine. It is a lesson about the blind man. It really says because he came or because others came, he would not have come. Others drew him. Because others were coming to see Jesus, that blind man came. Now you have to apply that to yourself. Uh, you have influence. You have more influence probably for good and bad than you ever realize. And I was thinking as I heard your music and your singers and they're good, and I know about your preaching, I was thinking it's easier to be saved here than it is in most places. It's easier to become a Christian here than it is in 90% of the churches of the United States. Not because you demand less. You demand what the Bible demands. But it's easier because here others are constantly coming to receive Jesus as Savior. You have to realize that in all of the churches of America last year, 50% of them had not one conversion, and quite a large percentage of them had less than 10. And so when you're in a place where others are coming to Christ, it's easier for you to come. You may not like my preaching. Uh, you may not like the music. You may not like a lot of things going on here. But I say congratulations. Congratulations because you have chosen a church that is concerned about others. Tell a story out of the war between the states. It was winding down to an end. One group of Confederate soldiers had been on the battle line out of Richmond, Virginia for quite a length of time. Uh, they had a lot of casualties. They were short on supplies. They were just barely holding on. And they received word that General Robert E. Lee was going to come by and inspect them. Last thing a group of tired soldiers would ever want is an inspection by the general. But they lined up reluctantly. General Lee appeared on a magnificent white horse. He didn't say a word. He rode the length of their ranks, turned around and rode the length of their ranks again, came back to the center, took off his hat, bowed to him from the saddle, rode away without ever saying a word. One old sergeant from Alabama could contain himself no longer. He stepped out in front of his men, and he said, There, seeing what General Lee had to say about it, don't you think we can stay and fight a while longer? General Lee hadn't said a word, but his presence had so influenced them. You have influence. Because you are here, others will come. And we must never, never forget that. 
you hold in your hands not only your own destiny, but by your influence, you hold the destiny of other people. Now, I don't tell very many personal illustrations, and I don't tell very many illustrations about my family. Ah, once in a while, a weird one about my wife, but not, not many personal illustrations, but I want to tell you one this morning. Years ago, I received kind of a casual offhand invitation to speak on a big men's rally in the Kayamichi Mountain in southern southeastern Oklahoma. It was never followed up with anything about it. Uh, two years went by, and suddenly I was in California by this time, and I picked up one Monday morning a copy of a periodical called the Kayamichi Mountain News, and there was my picture on the front page, and it said, I will be there the next day. <laughs> I had forgotten all about it. No choice but to fly to Tulsa, Oklahoma, tried to rent a car, got in there on Monday night, couldn't rent a car. There was a women's bowling tournament going on. They had every car in Tulsa rented. And uh, I called a friend of mine from Muskogee. He came up to get me, and he loaned me not his car, but his wife's car. And his wife's car was the kind of car preacher's wives generally rode, uh, had in that day. So I took off after midnight going down into that mountainous area in a car that I had to press it wide open to go down a hill to get up the next hill. And I got in there the, the next morning and made my way out to where this big campground was. And I was told that there was 8,000 men there. Since we always have a tendency to exaggerate crowds, let's cut it in half and say there were four or 5,000 there. But it was a big deal. I got out of that car, and as I was locking it, and by the way, I was wondering why I was locking it. Nobody would want to steal it. But I was locking it, and I heard the booming voice of the host of the entire thing on the loudspeaker. His name was A.B. McReynolds. He was an old cowboy-type preacher, but don't let it fool you. He had a Ph.D., too. But A.B. McReynolds' voice came through the microphone, the loudspeaker, and he said, I want Don Hinkle to come up here and lead you men in all three verses of when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And I want Ben Merrill from California to get up here right now to preach. Hey, I'd been up all night. I had planned on taking a nap underneath a shade tree. I had expected to look him up after that and tell him to put me on that evening because I had to get be in California the next day. I had no sermon prepared. All I had were four or five thoughts written down on my boarding pass. I took off, sounded like the voice of God to me. I came running up that aisle, I remember, and he stood at the edge of the platform and he looked at me, and then he smiled and he said, Son, thank God you ain't carrying a manuscript. He didn't know I wasn't carrying a sermon of any kind. He said, the last guy read his sermon, and they about went to sleep on him. Then he slapped me on the leg as I sat down. He said, now, boy, you get up there and holler at him. That's what they need this morning. You holler at him. I thought, yeah, when you haven't got a point, why well, speak loud, yell at him. Uh -huh. And then I got the most ego-shattering introduction anybody ever got on that.
They've never let me live it down. 4,500 men. This was my introduction. He stood up with a gruff voice. He said, Men, I've always said that Pat Merrill is the prettiest and the smartest preacher's wife I've ever known. This here is her husband. I was on. I cannot tell you what I said. It was all recorded. I had to buy the book of sermons afterwards to find out what I said, really. I extended the invitation for men to rededicate their lives. They were about all Christians and church members. And I suppose 80 or 90, maybe 100 came. And as soon as that was over, I was back in that dumb car, back in Tulsa, and back in California that night. And I thought that was the end of the story. Except that that, like many things in our brotherhood, was one of those things that it was considered an honor to speak on, so they never paid even expenses or anything else. And it had cost me a week's salary to make that trip. So all that summer, if uh, we were a little short, I'd mention, well, if I hadn't made that trip, uh, we'd, we wouldn't be so short. Pat finally told me if that amount of money was going to send us to the poor farm, let's go a week early and shut up about it in the meantime. And she put it in no uncertain terms. But I forgot all about it except that I kind of resented the fact that it cost me a week's salary to make that trip. And then September or October came along. And we were having a Sunday night service, and just as it started, I saw a man walk in as his wife, and he was a, he was a stranger. And I was, talked to my associate minister. I said, George, go back and see if that guy's a visitor, and if he's one of our preachers, well, I invite him out for coffee afterwards. And uh, associate minister came back, said, yeah, Ben, said he's just out here on vacation. Um, he uh, has a church in southern Illinois. So we were all sitting in a restaurant after the church service, and I was talking to this guy. And I asked him the question preachers always ask each other, where'd you go to college? Where'd you get your training at? He kind of smiled, and he said, well, never went to one of our Bible colleges. He said, I'm a graduate of the University of, southern El uh, University of Illinois in chemistry. He says, I teach high school chemistry. And he said, I was down at that thing in the Chiamichis. And he said, when you extended the invitation, I just went forward to rededicate my life. And I got to thinking, hey, there's a good New Testament church in the town I live in, but there's no good New Testament church in the town where I teach high school. So he said, I just started one. I said, you did. How's it going? He said, we had 103 last Sunday. I said, you heard that sermon, you decided to go back and start a church, and you have 103 here in just a few months, you know. He said, yeah, it's going good. And about that time, that elbow dug in my ribs. You, you know how they do it, guys. <coughs> this wee voice said, You've been complaining all summer about spending that money, and the guy hears that sermon starts a church. We continued to talk, and we started out across the parking lot, Pat going to her car and me to mine. And she called out to me, the guy heard the sermon and started a church. 
I'd give that much money to start a new church anytime. And that day it was popular to say, you want to go to the moon? So I said that, you know. <laughs> but uh, I heard a lot about the fact that that guy heard the sermon and started the church. But that wasn't the end of it. A month later, I was preaching in East Point, Georgia, part of Atlanta. I told this story just that way. Two guys were waiting when the church service was over. They said, uh, we went forward at that ser service. One of them said, I'm starting a new church outside of Calhoun, Georgia. We're both enrolled in Atlanta Christian College. And the other said, I'm opening an old closed church. And I forget where it was. That's not the end of the story. I was in Georgetown, Illinois in a revival meeting, and I told this story. A guy came up to me after the service. He said, my brother was in that meeting. He went forward at that invitation. He's starting a new church in Fort Wayne. But that's not the end of the story. A year later, I was on the south side of Chicago doing a seminar on church growth for all of our Christian churches on the south side. When we took a break, a guy said, hey, I'll walk with you to get a cup of coffee. He said, uh, I'm from Lexington, Kentucky originally. He said, I work for, I forget what organization it was. Uh, he said, I went to that thing in the Kaimichis and went forward. He said, I'm starting a new church here on the south side of Chicago. I remember I stopped and looked at him. I said, you really are? He said, yeah, I'm starting a new church. Now, of course, when we're away from home, you know, we tell the best stories we have in life. And this is one of the best ones. I wouldn't want you to think that things like this happen to me every whipstitch. This is one of the best ones. But I experience the providence of God quite often. And I thought somebody must have been doing a lot of praying because I wasn't prepared. I went through it hurriedly. Five new churches that I know about started out of it. You've got to give God credit. And I decided I will never, ever again sell my influence short, good or bad. And I want you to take that same stand. You have influence, good or bad. You make that influence count for good. You never know who's watching you or what effect you are going to have. Don't you ever forget it because Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And the lesson about this blind man is he came because others were coming. And you keep coming. Now there's a second lesson. You probably thought, I thought that's half the sermon. It is. But there's a second lesson. Jesus passed through Jericho only a few times. I took a harmony of the Gospels out once and tried to figure out how many times Jesus went through the city of Jericho. Probably not over three, four at the most. That means that that blind man didn't have its ma that many chances to hear Jesus and be saved. And I wonder how many chances you have. Not as many chances as you think. Not as many times in your life when something happens that makes you think seriously about making Christ Savior and following Him. I was teaching at Pacific Christian College, and uh, 
I found out that a noted evangelist was going to be holding a personal uh, evangelism seminar about five miles down the street, the exact hour of my class. And I asked the guys if they'd like to go hear that guy instead of going to the class. Well, they'd go hear anybody to get out of class, you know. So I got church vans, and we all went to hear this guy. He stood up and uh, started giving his uh, his uh, his uh, lecture, and there were 940 people there, afternoon seminar. They had counted him, and he announced the count. And he spoke just a few minutes, and suddenly he stopped, and he said, I want everyone to stand that became a Christian because somebody knocked on your door and opened up a Bible and showed you that the Bible says that you are a sinner and showed you that Jesus Christ is Savior according to the Bible. He said everybody that had that happen to them, stand. Now remember, 940 Christian people there. You know how many stood? We counted. Forty-five. Forty-five out of 940. The thought came to me, I thought well over half of them would stand. And then it hit me, I didn't start going to church until after I got out of World War II, and I didn't start going to church until I was about 21, 22 years of age, and nobody ever came by and knocked on my door. Nobody ever took a Bible and showed me that I was guilty of sin and that Jesus Christ was Savior. I had two men come by and call on me one night. They congratulated me for coming to the White Temple Christian Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. They reminded me it had one of the best pipe organs in town, but not one word was said about my sin or my salvation. We don't have that many chances. Listen. If you feel a desire, if you feel an impulse, that's probably the Spirit of God admonishing you to make Jesus Christ your Savior. Yeah, Jesus only went through Jer Jericho a few times. Blind man didn't have that many chances. And right now, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Well, there is a third lesson. He never passed by Jericho again. That blind man didn't know it, but that was his last chance. Now, you look in this row of chairs you're sitting in, and probably somebody has sat in that row of chairs when Brian has been preaching, and the invitation is acknowledged, and that person has said no. I'm not going to do it this morning. You know, you better make Jesus your Savior while you have an opportunity. I always tell teenagers, don't you put this off. You get right with God. You get in Christ right now. If your folks tell you they don't want you to be a member of Connection, different Christian church, that's a horse of a different color, but you make Jesus Christ your Savior. And I mean that. In verse 38, there is an interesting thing here. It says that uh, he called out, 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then verse 39, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now when he says he called out, the word call means he, he called in a very loud voice. But when it says that he shouted all the more, the word shouted in the original Bible language is a word that says he cried out with an emotional animal-like scream. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. By the way, the term son of David was a messianic term in Old Testament prophecy. So this blind man may not have known everything about Jesus, but he knew enough about him to know that he was from God. Now, as we look at that, I stop and think, how many chances have you had? Not as many as you think. I'm going to pull a little experiment, and I want you to cooperate with me. It's going to require raising your hand real quick. I'm not going to ask anybody to say anything. But I want everybody to put up a hand that confessed Christ and was baptized before they were 21 years of age. Will you hold up your hands? Now look around just a minute. That's the majority of the people here. How many of you confessed Christ and were baptized between age 20 and age 35? Put up your hands. I would estimate I see about a dozen. All right, let's do it this way. How many of you between age 35 and 50 would you put up your hand? I see six. How many of you between 50 and 60 would you put up a hand? I see one, two. How many between 60 and 75? Anybody over 75? Now here's my point. You're going to sit back and delay this when you are fighting odds like that? You see, uh, what I'm getting at is a law of psychology goes into effect as you put this off. That law of psychology says anything you put off becomes easier to put off and more difficult to do. And you are fighting that law when you keep delaying following Jesus Christ and having him as Savior. Yeah, he never passed by Jericho again. And Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. There's a fourth lesson. He put his faith in Christ. And it is faith in Christ that saves. You know, the word believe in the Bible carries with it a stronger meaning than the word believe in our English language. The word believe in the Bible means to place absolute trust in this and nothing else. And when you really believe in Jesus, you are placing absolute trust in Him for salvation and nothing else. You're not depending on what you think as your respectability, your good works, or anything else, but Jesus and Him alone. And He's the one that paid the price for our sins, you see. Now, it's uh, 
I think I can illustrate it like this. We always keep aspirin at our house. My wife is a great believer in aspirin. I think there was a time in her life when she couldn't see the reason for medical doctors as long as she had aspirin. The remark around our house, take a couple of aspirin. So let's say that uh, I just have an accident and I, I have my head cut off and I come in the house and say, honey, I just had my head cut off. She probably would say, oh, I'll take a couple of aspirin. So I reach up into the medicine cabinet and I find that bottle of aspirin and I say, I believe that these have the power to cure a headache. And with that, I just put them back up on the shelf. They haven't done a thing for me. It's when I receive them that they do me some good. And this word faith in Christ always carries with it the idea of receiving, just believing that He is doesn't do anything for you until you receive Him. And when you receive Him, something supernatural begins to happen in your life. Well, why not? We have a supernatural God. Our sins are forgiven, and He begins to change us. In Revelation 3, 20th verse, has Jesus, and it says, Here I am at the door, and knock. Anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person, and they with me. And the word eat is translated sup in the old King James translation, and to sup or be at supper with someone meant a very intimate relationship. And Jesus said, Here I am. You hear my voice, but you have to open the door. You have to let me come in, and we will have this relationship. Uh, I think I could put it this way about faith in Christ. Uh, we have in our brotherhood of churches a very fine uh, translating group that go all over the world and translate the New Testament into the language for that group of people to read. And uh, they tell the story about one translator that was translating the Gospel of John. And uh, he came to John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And there was no word in that language for believeth in Him. He didn't know what to do, but there's a, a little policy that translators follow. They don't stop. They keep going ahead, translating, hoping that they'll pick up on something that would help them with the problem. And a few days later, they were having a little conference where this Bible translator was uh, stationed, and native evangelists were coming in. And one of them walked into his little shack, and he sat down in a hardback chair, and he said, I have walked over 20 miles today. It is so good to rest my whole weight upon this chair. And that translator said, What did you just say? And it almost scared the native evangelist. He said, I said it was good to rest my whole weight 
upon this chair. The translator said, that's what I've been looking for. And if you would read it in their translation, John 3.16 would read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever rests his whole weight on him shall not perish but have eternal life. Yeah, this blind man was saved because he put his faith in Christ. And one last thing. Jesus may be passing by right now. And you have to do something. And you are capable of doing something. Sometime back I heard the story of a, a church congregation that developed problems and because of indecisiveness among the leadership, the problems mushroomed and there was a split in the church and I've heard of that. And one family ended up leaving the church and not going anywhere. And, uh, you know, Sunday after Sunday went by, they weren't going to church. One Sunday morning, the eldest daughter came downstairs from her bedroom, obviously dressed up and obviously going out. Her mother said, well, where are you going on this Sunday morning? And the daughter said, I'm going to church. Her mom said, and what church are you going to? She said, I'm going to our church. Her mother said, I don't know how you can go back there after the way they've acted. Where's your pride? And the girl said, when I think that we're remembering that Christ died for our sins at the communion table, I don't have any pride. And she walked out the door and went to church. Remember no hymn? When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. Let's just get all that out of the way and come to Jesus and serve Jesus. We have in Acts chapter 2, 38th verse, when people heard the gospel and cried out, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent. That means change your mind. You haven't been looking upon this as anything important, so change your mind and see the importance of it right now. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. As believers, they changed their mind, and they accepted the message, and they were baptized. I'm going to pray. Brian's going to have a, some more singing. And after the service is over, and the way you usually do things, I'll be down here. Brian will be down here. If you want to talk to us about confessing Christ, about making arrangements to be baptized, 
or about transferring membership to this congregation, or if you want somebody to pray with you, you just come to us. I'll pray before we have a song here. Thank you, Father. We know that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Bless those that are here, and bless the hearing of the word, that through the Holy Spirit it might produce action in lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.